Hello, everybody, and welcome to Returning to Tradition. My name is Chris Dixon, joined with... Your better host, Emma Singletary. Yeah. Um. Anyways, today Emma's going to be asking us controversial questions, so... Emma just spit her drink. <laughs> Let's get into it. So the first question is <laughs> the most basic question. Should be pretty straightforward, yet surprisingly a lot of people wonder about this. Are Catholics Christian? That's funny. I got asked that earlier today, believe it or not. Oh, um, wow. It was kind of a weird the way the guy asked it was weird because then like he tried to go a step farther and like all all christians are catholic and i was like no that's not true not quite. but all catholics are in fact christian um the reason for that of course we believe all believe in the trinity in my opinion if you're unitarian that is you don't believe in the trinity you aren't christian um because yeah, I mean, God the Father is obviously God because the Old Testament and the history of the church. God the Son is obviously God because that's what makes us Christian is that Christ's Son, God thing. Um, and and naturally, we have the Holy Spirit associated with Christ's time on earth because he gave it to us as a gift once he left. So, um, long story short, my opinion, Trinitarian are the bare minimum requirement for being Christian, uh, but that could be a podcast on itself, what it means to be Christian. Now that is the truth. Um, but I'm glad we cleared the air there. Um, pause. Back in. <laughs> I think that's just going straight. No, I actually want this episode to be really good, because I feel like this could be, you know, like... You think this is going to be the one that gets us uh, our first one over 100 views or something? We get listens. over 100 listens every time. No, we don't. Nope. Nope. I'm not lying. Lying <laughs> is a sin, Emma. You know what's also a sin? Huh? Opposite over adjacent. <laughs> that was really funny. Um, I have to put my lips. I just won't move them. Um, anyways, next question. Back at it. Ooh. Question number two. Did we add any books or take out any books for the Bible? Where'd you get this question from? <laughs> <laughs> like Evelyn, maybe 30 minutes ago? <laughs> I have my own, too. Uh-huh, yeah, sure. Um, so, <laughs> Emma's coming up with the original questions today. Um, so, what I would say to that is no. Um I would respond, how was the Bible created? Um, and so we'd find out that before Protestantism was a thing, there was a canon established by the church that is a list of books that are authoritative. Um, and then the Protestants took books out. So boom roasted. Um, if That's we, not boom roasted. It is boom roasted. Oh, we're boom roasting thing. all podcasts long. Anyways, um, if we go back in history, though, the point of contention, if you will, is there were two groups of Jewish people. Some of them included the Apocrypha or Deuterocanonical books, depending on how you want to term, term them, the seven books in the Old Testament that Catholics have extra compared to Protestants. And some didn't have, some Jews didn't have those seven books. Um, 
because the idea was that for some Jews, they think only the texts written in Hebrew are considered canon. Um, with time, uh, the some people considered some of the texts originally written in Greek to be canon. And of course, us uh, Catholics today, the New Testament, well, Christians today, the New Testament written in Greek originally. Um, so the seven books also written in Greek. Point of contention, are they included or not? Kind of a gray area for us. We said they're in and then the Protestants said they're out. Um, but they did that after the fact. So boom roasted next. Does it affect any of our beliefs? Not particularly, no. Like, so we can find some common ground there. What do you mean? Like, is it actively? Does it actively affect what we believe as Catholics? Like, like what are the books that are different? Well, it's like a part of a few books. Um, I forget them off the top of my head. I think we got Tobit in there. Um. I want to say the Maccabees, but I'm not sure. Um, Wait, I thought the Maccabees. It's it's Bible. one of the two set of letters. I forget which two it is, but there's two letters that aren't in there. Um, Interesting. Timothy. No, that's New Testament. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Doesn't really matter. But the point. Being, like, we did not add any books. They were. It has to go back to Jewish yeah. roots. Um, next question. Which was still divided. So let's be clear. The yeah. Jewish roots were also divided. It's just then the tradition took off and ran with including the books. And then 1,500 years later, they were like, nah, we don't need those. So, yeah. Next question. Yeah. Um, which you've kind of answered this more in depth in previous podcasts. But just because, you know, we're doing a new podcast, let's just address it in this one too. And if you're interested in going deeper into it, go ahead and listen to the past ones. But. Do Catholics worship Mary and the saints? I also got this question today, believe it or not. Um, are you good or are you just asking questions I answered? Um, so um, I don't know how I explained it in the previous podcast. The way I'm going to explain it today is there's different forms of worship um, there's the worship we give to God, to the Trinity, there's the worship we give to Mary in the middle. And then the worship we give to saints below that. And probably a better term for our our Protestant friends for ecumenical dialogue purposes is to use the word reverence instead of worship. Um, in effect, though, they're the same thing. Um, we give Mary a great degree of reverence. We give the Trinity a greater degree of reverence. Um, but it's still reverential um, sort of worshiping, but um, basically saying... She is greater than I am because of her saintly life um, and her status as the mother of God. So. And her being born without the stain of original sin. Um, yeah, I think we explained in the last podcast that, like, as Catholics, they're like vessels for prayer. You know, there's a lot of reverence in the way that they live their life and stuff. And we believe that those people, Mary and the saints, are in heaven, obviously where God is <laughs> in his fullness. And so it's like, if you know someone, it's like if someone went to the store and you knew they're at the store and you, like, instead of calling them, 
and being like, hey, can you grab this? You, like, drove yourself to the store. It's like, it works either way, but it's just another way of prayer and great encouragement in how to live a Christian life in a world that doesn't always encourage it. Um, so, next question. Is it going to be one I've never heard before? It Okay, I will say this. I struggled with this question for a while. Ooh. I had someone, one of my very close friends, actually. Maybe she'll be listening to this. Um, and then she can tell me. See how close of a friend yeah. you really are. <laughs> um, no, Teresa openly tells me. She goes, yeah, I don't listen to your podcast. I'm like, okay. Um, anyways, so the question is... Um, And this kind of goes into the root of our faith. So this has to do with a really big divide between Protestantism and Catholicism. Um, And I'm going to preface this right now. We are going to treat this with the most understanding, loving tone in the whole world. Okay, Chris? Depends (laughs) on what the question is. Um, Because, you know, yeah. So we're going to be very kind and loving to our neighbors. But, so... Yes, in the Protestant <laughs> faith, the idea of being saved is very popular. Mm-hmm. And so this idea of like, once you're baptized, you're saved. And so I had this question posed to me in several different ways. And I kept on having to be like, you know what? Let me check with my Bible study leader. Let me check with one of my faith mentors. Let me check with someone I know who is more knowledgeable than I in the faith. Because this, the way it was posed, I'd never heard it before. And it was just the idea that like, well, if you're baptized and if you're forgiven, like, can you go to heaven? And on surface value, it's like, well, I mean, like, we're not doubting the power of God, but, like, we're called to live a Christian life. And then it was the idea of, like, the corporal works of mercy. It was like, oh, do you believe that by good works you get to heaven? And so the question is basically posed around this question so you can use this as like a basis for how to answer these big topics but are we saved if we are baptized um and for example like if you died today would you go to heaven based on the fact that you were baptized and don't think about like the state of your soul or anything like that because like put on like the idea that like the sacraments we have, like, put on the lens that you're not Catholic and answer that question in that way. Like, you can see how other people would think about it, and you're like, Yeah, well, hmm. okay. The base default position answer to that question is yes. Um, like, yeah, theoretically, like, because I am baptized, I would go to heaven if I died. Yeah, I'm in the process of being saved, completed at the time of my death. So if I die today, I'm saved, right? Um, that, I mean, that that whole idea of a process is different than what most Protestants believe. Um, but, like, what I would point out is, like, if I were baptized and then killed somebody and then died right afterward, I don't feel like I'm going to heaven right away. You know? Um, Like, that just doesn't seem right to me. It's possible. Again, nothing's outside of of 
the the great mercy of God, but like you probably aren't going to heaven right away, if 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 at all. I mean, I don't I don't know, but like um, the crazy thing is, we know of you know hundreds of thousands of people in heaven. We don't know of a single person in hell. Um, so we know hell's real, but we don't know of a single person that's there. So. Um, my advice, therefore, is to live the best life you can. Um, be, do the best you can. Um, if, if you're baptized and thus devoted your life to Christ, live your life that way. Um, and if you do so, theoretically, you should be saved. You should enter into heaven. Um, but alas, don't know. Yeah. Does and, that answer the question? Well, and this is kind of, it's a very deep question. And I, like, kid you not, my, I think it was my junior year. It might have been my senior year. I would watch these debates between, like, very intelligent theologians and, you know, people who were very steeped in their Catholic faith and, like, someone who's very strong in their Protestant faith kind of just, like, go at it with different, like, biblical texts and evidence and stuff about, like, can you just be saved by baptism alone? And I think ultimately, like, the idea is, you know, as Catholics, of course, we would never doubt the ability of God. Never are we ever going to be in a position to be like, oh, we're too far gone to be saved, or it's outside of God's realm to save us at this point. I don't think that's the point. But here's the idea that I think is very interesting. Because if you pose the question of like, oh, well, that person's been baptized, but then, you know, they killed nine people. Do you still think they're going to heaven? And like, if you ask that the flip way, where it's you're not asking a Catholic, you're asking a Protestant that, it's like, well, was their baptism real? Did they actually, because a lot of what baptism is in that faith is like a conviction of their faith. And so I think then it's like that flip side of like, well, that wasn't an actual like, commitment to their faith so it didn't really count and so I think the idea is like in a full baptism you are completely wiped away of your original sin you fully commit your life to Christ and if you do that you're going to be living a life of good works you're going to be living a life according to God's word so thus of course you're going to be more set up to go to heaven although we are not in a position to ever judge souls so it's very it's an interesting question with a lot of different layers but I had someone explain it to me kind of similar how you said it um with the idea of like what is the idea of being saved if you're a catholic and it goes along the premise of like i am saved i'm being saved and i hope to be saved so god has already died for my sins he has already taken every sin that i will commit to the cross i am in a constant process of returning to the cross and asking for forgiveness because i'm human and I sin daily. I hope to be saved, and I hope that through my um, penitential acts and through my um, intent and seeking, looking for forgiveness in Christ, that he will have mercy on me. Because I don't think we're ever in a state where we can be like, oh yeah, I know exactly what God thinks of me right now. Like, he doesn't think I've done anything wrong. Or, I have so much thing God could never forgive me. We are never called to doubt 
or to try to explain what God's power is that is truly mysterious and on this earth unable to fully explain. So I don't know if there is a full answer to this question, but it's something to think about because this one really stumped me and I had never thought about my faith this way. Because I was like, well, I mean, I would never doubt God's ability to forgive someone's sins. And that's kind of what the basis was. Like, do we doubt God's ability to forgive our sins? I was like, no, of course we don't. Um, but definitely something to think about. You know, I've been saved, I'm being saved, and I hope to be saved. Um, to ponder that. But kind of based off this conversation leads me into another one. Which... I feel like a lot of people don't know about who aren't necessarily Catholic because this was an idea that I didn't realize not everyone had was purgatory. So first, what is purgatory and why do we believe in it? So um, purgatory is actually biblically based, if you can believe it or not, uh, folks. Um, Yeah, so... The idea is that Paul speaks about a uh, fire of purification, right? Or something to that extent. Not sure his exact wording there, but um, that's what we're going with. And so there's a purifying fire by which we are made ready. And so uh, it's unlike hell, which is an eternal fire that burns um, and, and is filled with suffering and hate and all those negative things um but it's a purifying fire which makes sense if we think about the idea of sin right um we need to to go to heaven you have to be free of all attachment to sin um not only do you have to be sinless you have to like not have attachment to sin and so um let's say you live your life and uh you go to confession right before you die um but um you're still lacking in the you know you're still struggling with some sort of sin or um let's say you didn't go to confession right before you died but like you were striving to live that good christian life uh that you know you're called to do and you recognize that you fell several times and um you know, you're working through that and you go to confession regularly and mass regularly and you you do all these good things that you should be doing uh, in your life, but you die and you didn't go to confession beforehand. Um, yeah, like, okay, well, you have these sins on your heart um, and you can only go to heaven if you're sinless. So... Um, Guess you're going to hell. Yeah, no. We, 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 <laughs> that would like, be such a depressing life. Yeah. You would have to go to confession literally every five minutes right. to live so, that way. So instead, um, St. Paul's purifying fire comes into play. And we're like, okay, um, let's instead, uh, we go to a, a state of being called purgatory. We go there. Um we get purified from from our attachment to sin. Eventually, we lose our attachment to sin. By the grace of God, we become fully sinless, free from all sin, and enter into heaven. We cannot go the other way. You can't be 
unpurified <laughs> and yeah. then go to hell. But um, yeah, so it's it's basically uh, an outpouring of God's grace to us in recognition that we're going to fall short of what's required to enter into heaven. So, Which just yeah. goes to show how much of a merciful God he is. Um, and so kind of going off this, one way my mom explained purgatory, for people who are less um, big-brained like you, <laughs> I'm going to put it in child, in child terms because this is still how I look at it. Um, a waiting room. <laughs> You're going to love this. Um, everyone's heard this one before, but it's like, you know... You're not kind of like how Chris said is you can't go to heaven if you have this stain of sin on you because like think about it like this if you're doing dishes like and look you look at all those dirty spots okay if you think about like the goodness of God is so great that if you had any stain of sin on you you would literally like explode like you would not be able to handle God's like amazingness which is like why on earth we live in under so much, you know, we have to live with so much faith because there is so many mysteries in our faith because our brains are just too small to understand the complex, you know, intensity of God's goodness. So if we were to go to heaven with the stain of sin on ourselves, we would literally like not be able to handle it. And so like through God's grace, he's like, okay, let's give you some time to get to to the point to where like you can embrace all this goodness in the best form it is instead of it literally like burning you up you know so go god idea i just had purgatory is like a hot shower but it's like a tad too hot mm, yeah you know so, so it's outside, uncomfortable yeah it's not enjoyable but like you're being washed you're being clean yeah you're being purified it's hot, not enjoyable. You don't want to be there too long because, you know. You'll burn. <laughs> it hurts. Well, I don't want to. Well, you can't okay, go that yeah, far. It takes the analogy too far. Analogies always break down at some point. Emma took it too far. Um, <laughs> Wait. But, oh, my gosh. But, this works kind of yeah. like what I was saying. Like, okay, picture, like, confession and, you know, forgiveness on earth as, like, a shower. Okay. And purgatory is like sanitation. Mm. It's like you're going to be so squeaky freaking clean that you go into heaven and you're going to be like chilling with the angels, you know? Um, so, yeah. Cool idea. Um, Not to diminish confession at all. See, that's the problem with hearing No, well, see, here's the thing is like confession is so great, but it doesn't. Pause. It doesn't remove temporal. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Punishment. Like it, yeah, and that's which is what, weird. This is difficult. This is a hard teaching. That's why I don't think the analogy is the analogy. Like the time thing doesn't fit with the analogy. If that, I don't think the time thing. Yeah, okay. like because the only thing that you aren't free from after confession is, is the time. What? So, like, you're squeaky clean, just like your sanitation. Yeah, you're clean, but you still have to put in the work How do work, work time into did. the analogy? There's no time. What time? So, what remains after confession is temporal punishment. Which is what you do in purgatory. Right. But I don't think we can slap on the word time to it, because it's all in God's time. 
Yeah, well, time's a whole... We should have a podcast on time. (laughs) I think my brain would explode. I don't even think... Please. We can do that, but I don't even think I would know Maybe we'll make it part of a podcast. I like talking about this. Anyways, went on a tangent. Anyways, purgatory, extra step before you get into heaven. Not saying that... It's just like, there's a lot of research you can do on purgatory. Um... Probably better articulated than what we did today, but... What are you talking about? We're professional theologians. That's got to be heresy. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, anyways, so the next question. And, you know, I'm trying to sprinkle in, like, super interesting ones, a little bit less interesting ones. Um, so we're just going to kind of... There's some big buzzer questions coming up, so stay tuned. But anyways, next question... This one can just be a quick one. Do we worship idols, statues, depictions of religious things, religious objects, etc.? No, but we have a degree of reverence towards them and use them as a means to connect with the sacred. So we use statues as a way for us to uh, venerate, uh, remember uh, the saints, to, to reverence the saints. Uh, same thing for for icons, any other, other number of religious um, extras, if you will. Um, yeah, they're just, just a kind of bonus helping hand to us humans who connect with the material to lead us into the sacred. So, Yeah, super interesting. Um, I think a good way to think about it is like if you're Catholic or if you're not Catholic and you're Christian, um, kind of like a cross. All of us share the cross, and, like, of course, we do not disrespect the cross. It's not like you're going to see a cross and throw it on the ground, because that's just messed up. Same thing with the Bible. Like, you're not going to disgrace the Bible, because you understand the importance of that thing. So I think that's important to think about. Okay, time for the two questions that are just, you know, people's favorite to talk about with the Catholic faith. Oh, boy homosexuality let's get right into it what is the catholic teaching on homosexuality clarify what you mean because i don't want to either get ahead of ourselves or yeah i don't want to get ahead of whatever you're going for so clarify uh, what is the catholic teaching on home like on homosexual okay let me clarify it like this acts let me let me put it like this okay so let me preface this by saying there's a difference between having homosexual feelings versus acting on them just as the same thing as there's a difference about thinking about doing something and then doing it you know like there's different levels of that and a lot of it is out of your control Um, which we'll go into. But then there's also, um, you know, we can address, like, the whole LGBTQ community in general. Like, what is the Catholic view on both of those? And I think they are distinct things because I think there's an area where the Catholic Church is loving and accepting and then an area where it has to draw a line of, like, okay, this is just secular. This is just not the way we were called to live um, in communion. So that's what I was asking, which... Which side of the coin? Let's do both. 
All right. Both Let's sides start with the, yeah. the teaching on homosexuality to clear the air. Again, do you want the teaching about the feelings, tendencies, couples, all of it? Okay. Okay. See, thank you. That's thank what you. that's what go. I was asking for, and then I was going to give the same spiel you just gave. So now I have to say less words. Let's go, team. Uh, if you like Emma's voice more, <laughs> congratulations. If you like mine, um, well, sorry. sorry. Um, <laughs> Too bad for anyway, you. Anyways, um, in all seriousness, no, this is a serious topic because it's so um, prevalent in in today's discourse, especially. Uh, well, I guess not especially, not only within the Catholic Church, but throughout the whole world. So, um, yeah, let's talk about the catechism. Um, says says some things about homosexuality that some people don't like. Um, and, and the main takeaway that it says is that homosexual acts are intrinsically disordered. Uh, the, the word that people like to omit when quoting the catechism is the word acts. Um, they see homosexual and disordered and they go, no, the Catholic church is homophobic. And it's like, well, that's not what it says. It says that the actions are intrinsically disordered, just like how me taking a knife to Emma's throat and killing her right now would be intrinsically disordered. And let's, I'm going to pause here and say what the word disorder means, because I feel like that can sometimes also get some negative stuff. In this sense of the word disordered, we think back of the Garden of Eden, okay? And in that time, everything was in harmony. Everything was in order. Everything was as God intended it to be. And because of original sin, and because of how sin entered into the world, things became disordered. Not meaning they were, you know, like when you think of like a mental disorder or something like that. Like we're not saying that homosexuality is a disease or something like that. No, that's not the right thinking. The thinking of the word disorder that we are gearing this to and that the catechism is alluding to is the idea of the Garden of Eden and God creating the world in order and then us taking it and disordering it with our sin. Right. Like any sin, <laughs> like, you know, like I said, me killing Emma or... Why know, do you keep going back to that? <laughs> well, that was just the example I used earlier. Emma, it was sometimes a great I just example. really want to kill you. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. Anyway, um, <laughs> dang it, I can't keep that. Together. Yeah, you can. Okay, you heard it. She said it's okay, guys, so it's okay. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, so, so all of our sins are are intrinsically disordered. They are contrary to the order which God created the earth with, which was without sin, the disorder caused by sin. And so um, that action that um, takes place uh, of homosexual interaction is disordered, just like any other action that is sinful is, is disordered. Um, so it's really not stating anything new. It's just stating a specific sin, which the church does all the time. Um, so I guess the question becomes, why is it sinful, right? Um, and how do the people involved in that sin, or for this matter, any other sin, because remember, this is just the specific of the whole entirety of sin. Um, so what was the first thing I said I was going to talk about? Homosexual tendencies versus, like, feelings, attractions yeah. versus actions. 
Yeah. So and where the sin line. Yeah, where the where the sin. What is sin? Um, kind of. Um, Better question. But, but we're we're not going to tackle the big question yeah. today. Um, but the smaller question at play here is, yeah, there's a difference between um, me thinking about ki- killing Emma. We're keeping with it. We're just keep on going. Uh, or or me uh, in the near occasion about to kill Emma with the, with the, the knife to the throat or whatever. Um, Can I talk a nicer way? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, somebody's going to listen to this and be so confused. They're like, Chris, are you okay, buddy? Chris did um, not pass his like The diocese is going to listen to it. Anyways. Um, so anyways, uh, again, serious topic. But, you know, us humans, we have fun in times of uncomfortableness. Um, so anyways, those examples are not me actually doing the act me thinking about doing any sin is not me doing the sin isn't sinful in and of itself um which makes sense at least to me that makes sense like how um could i be you know guilty for a sin that i didn't commit like how could i be guilty for a crime i didn't do sort of thing um, and yeah, sure. There, there's exceptions to the rule, like in the in the idea where, like, you know, you uh, I forget what it's called, but you know, you like plan the homicide or whatever, and, or the school shooting or whatever it is, and like the cops find it and they arrest you because like you very clearly planned to do intent. it. Yeah, yeah. I, I forget what the intent. what the crime is. What's 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 the name of it? Conspiracy. The... Maybe, I don't know. Anyways, uh, doesn't really matter. Or, um, you know, in, in the idea of sin, you know, Jesus says, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you know, you already did it. You know, you already committed adultery. Um, okay, fair. But like, you know, there's there's a clear degree of difference between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, if that makes sense. A temptation. It, and, and, a and also when Jesus was saying that in the context um he he was just trying to hammer home the point that um, the the rules um, of of sin are steep, basically, mm-hmm. um, and not necessarily to the letter of what he said. Um, although you know, don't look at women with lust or try not to. That's you know usually not a good thing. And so bringing that full cir- circle to homosexuality, um, yeah, you know those are are sinful because they are not the order of creation the order of creation of course man woman together baby you know that's that's how that works um or or was intended to work by god or that's what we believe god intended it you know a lot we can qualify this as much as we want but in the catholic church's point of view right man and woman equal baby and that's the order of creation. And so anything um, done that tries to replicate that is bad. If you take take the, the front of a coin, the back of a coin, and start making fake coins, that's a bad thing, right? If, if you take, you know, it's the, the, the front of the coin and the back of the coin aren't bad. You know, those, those things aren't bad. The act is bad. And so 
taking this back out to to homosexuality once again the people themselves are are not disordered the people are not disordered the thing that they're doing is disordered you know counterfeiting the coin is in in, in that analogy is disordered and so um that's the difference there and that's why the catholic church um, tries to keep people away from that is because it's it doesn't align with the order of creation natural law that god has given to us and for further clarity father mike schmidt has some really good videos about that i mean you could okay let's be honest all of our podcasts yeah, are nothing probably, compared to father mike schmidt yeah. so like Ascension for Zins, pick us up. <laughs> Anyways, so if you want more resources on that, he has some really good videos about that, kind of explaining it. But I think now, and I'll I'll kind of add some stuff to the end of however you answer this question, but what about the LGBTQ community? Like, how does the Catholic Church approach that? How should we approach that? Like, the common question is like, ah, if my friend is getting married, like, can I go to the marriage or just the reception? Like, how sh- are we supposed to interact with people who identify as part of that community um, as Christians, as, as specifically Catholic Christians? you got two questions going on here. Um, question number one is, is how do we treat the LGBTQ plus community? Um, number one is, once again, we're going back to the catechism. Don't know the exact quote off the top of my head, but basically it says we should treat them with love, respect, compassion, sensitivity, or some words of that degree, uh, basically. And so uh, the point, therefore, is that we we should treat those people just like we would anybody else. We should love them just like anybody else. We should treat them as other human beings. Uh, their status as humans is not diminished, and we shouldn't even think that it would be for a second. Um, and so uh, we treat them the same way and arguably even more so than other people. Um, I mean, Jesus's whole ministry was devoted to protecting the marginalized. Uh, and in today's society, the the people of the LGBTQ plus community are the marginalized. Those those are the, the lepers of our day. Um, although it's becoming, it's becoming less... It's a good analogy. It's becoming We're less... trying to get away from the idea that this is a disease. <laughs> okay. So I don't think a leper okay. in the word but is... It, but it... Okay, maybe not now, but several yeah. years ago is where I was heading oh. with this. Was like, you know, especially during AIDS. Okay. Yeah. Like, you had to stay away from them. And it's like, no, that's not true. And the yeah. same thing with leprosy. Jesus met the lepers where they were at. Mm, okay. And so we should... Good analogy once you explain it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you got all excited before I even finished. And I'm like, geez, Emma, get off my back. Um, so that's my point, is is that we we have to meet them where they're at. We have to treat them with love, arguably more than anybody else, because they, they are marginalized um, and in need of our love. The second question you asked, um, although you only asked one question, but I made it into two questions, was, you know, what if, what if my friend um, is having a, a same-sex wedding? Um, can I attend, et cetera, et cetera? Uh, 
or or even bigger, what if my sibling, right? Um, so my answer is uh, ask your pastor, um, you know, pray about it, deal with that yourself. Um, there's no cookie cutter way uh, for any relationship, let alone such a pivotal moment such such as that. Um, the problem, problem's not a great word. The, the issue, yeah. I don't like issue either. Uh, the point of conflict the, the, is yeah. if you're supporting it right. or is, if you're supporting, supporting the person. Versus, you know, supporting the idea or supporting the person. Yeah, kind of like what Emma just said, right? Is like, yeah, I love my friend or yeah, I love my sibling, but, um, you know, I don't agree with the, what they're doing. And like, I know that them entering into a homosexual marriage is same-sex marriage is not something that I can in good conscience support. Um, and it might not be. And depending on the situation, you might decide that it's best for you to write them a letter and say, I love you, I support you as a person, and I and I am your friend, um, but I cannot in good conscience come to your wedding because it just doesn't fit with my beliefs and I'll come and visit you and and your your spouse and you know everything and, and I'll love you but I I can't go to your wedding because we believe you know it's not really a wedding right it's it's a union thing that the state created to to justify uh, their relationship which as we said, um, is is a disordered relationship. Not the people, the relationship. Again, the thing, not the people, um, is is the thing that we have to keep on hammering home. And again, yeah. it always gets lost. So that's why I keep on repeating yeah. it because well, it always gets lost that we're talking about the thing, not the people. In other situations, it it like if if it is your sibling, like that's a lot more difficult, um, and you. You, you might show up and maybe you just show up for the reception. I personally can't say that I, I would show up to uh, a, a same-sex wedding. I also, like, if, if we really want to get down the wedding train far, and this isn't same-sex necessarily, um, we talked about in our sacraments podcast how Catholics have to be married in a Catholic church, right? Um so if, if, say, your sibling, baptized Catholic, um, you know, falls away from the church in college and then um, goes off to get married, um, you know, at some pretty venue or something, I don't know, whatever. Um, so, so in that situation, it's like, I know you are breaking the rules of the church. And maybe I've even talked to you about this. Uh, since your engagement and you know it's it's something that weighs heavily on me because you're catholic and you need to get married in the catholic church that's you know like very baseline like like what what you should be doing um and so can i in good conscience go to your your wedding that's not in a catholic church um and be there to support you as my sibling and so in a similar way um arguably to a lesser degree, well, 
is to a lesser degree. Like in that situation, I would be like, yeah, I'd probably go. I just wouldn't be too thrilled about it, you know. Uh, of course, happy for uh, the people, my 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 sibling and and all that. But uh, I can't, you know. Again, there's difference between support and acceptance, mm-hmm. um, and there, and, and, and through it all, we have to love. Uh, we're commanded to so. Well, and on that note is kind of how I think my mom, especially like both my parents, but especially my mom, um, hammered this in um, because she was a special ed teacher, which, again, not relating homosexuality or sinfulness to this, but this just has to go with how we look at people in general. Um, And when we look at a person, we are called to not look at their race, their ethnicity, their religion, their, you know, whatever ailments they might be facing, whatever life they live, whatever sins they have. You know, we're not called to look at that. We are not God. We are not judges. We are supposed to be a community um, of love. And although that might not mean support, you know, a lot of times love is trying to, like, tell them what's actually good for them, especially if it's in the case of a close friend or family. But I think something that's so important is that we look at everyone with love. When you, and I think this translates in how we are called to like interact with the LGBTQ community is like, this goes back to the life and dignity of the human person, you know, which could be a topic argued all day long because so many people like when you hear the idea, they're like, yeah, I believe that. And then when you put it in real circumstances, it's like, what? And it goes both ways where people are like, oh, well, you should be fully accepting of someone or, oh, no, we need to turn those people completely away because that's wrong. When I think it's neither of those, it's you see the person first. You see the creation that God has made and you love that creation because it is from God. And therefore, it is intrinsically good. God makes good. What happens is in our sinfulness, we change that good. And so we have to treat everyone with love. And I think that's so, like, such an idea that is broken, especially within the views of the Catholic Church. I don't think in the Catholic Church itself, it is as broken as of what people think the Catholic Church is like. Um, And I know this from experience of, like, people, a part of these communities coming up to me and being like, oh, you're Catholic, how dare you? And it's like, no, like, you will never meet someone who will love you more than I will love you right now. Because I will love you not despite or not because of, but like I will love you for who you are. Nothing else. Nothing more, nothing less, because you are God's creation. So I think that's how we're called to look at everyone. And I think that's where the line is just blurred because people aren't living through that lens of love. They're looking at like, oh, what can I do to save this person's soul? When like, Of course, you're supposed to guide that person, but first you're called to love them um, because they are your brother and sister in Christ, which then goes into like the whole idea of like, would you go to the marriage thing? And I think Chris nailed it on the head when it's like, okay, it's really like something you need to pray about and you need to talk to, you know, your spiritual advisors and your pastor particularly and talk about that because it has to go about like, what's your relationship with that person? Do they know that you are loving them by showing up or do they think that that's some type of validation for the life that they're living? You know, um, and I think it has to do with, you know, how open you are in your beliefs there. Um, and I think if you're doing it right, they know that you're loving them first before anything. Um, and kind of like Father Jim here at 
St. Thomas More had a great analogy of like, you know, like if it's your brother or sister, yes, you should go to that wedding. If it's clear that you're doing it for them and not for the act, because if that person's a part of your life and going to be a part of your life for the rest of your life, you wouldn't want to miss such a pivotal moment in their life. Um, Because no matter what, that's going to be an important day. And you can love them in a particular way. Like, God welcomes us in all of our sin. You can show that same love for them, which may help bring openness to the situation. Um, But, yeah. So, we're at almost an hour mark. I know a lot of that was rambling and stuff, so we'll take it out. But, I'm actually going to cut it here. No, no, do you have a question? No, because it's yep, going to be too just, long and no one's going to listen it. to we're it. We're just doing it. Do it. I, I think it's... I command you to do it. Oh. Yeah. As a pre-priest? Using my authority as well, the editor See, but here's the thing. Creator it's like, I could have an entire... the podcast. Yeah, I could... The podcast. Okay, what is... The two that I was... Like, I could I go in... I had one left. Mm. There's so many questions that I could, I could do a whole other episode with controversial questions. We could talk about apostolic succession, abortion, um, well, you euthanasia. Only, you only have one more episode. Bullying. Time. Bullying. Does time come? Come back and take me another conversation. Um, oh, okay. We, we, yeah, we can make it work. <laughs> like, I feel like that's not a controversial question. What? It is a bullying, good or bad. Support bullying. Obviously, yeah. Duh. <laughs> we are being sarcastic. Um, <laughs> do we want... Um, wait, would time be able to fit into that? Because I know you talk, want to talk about time. What if season four... We just take super big ideas and simplify them no. through the Catholic no. and theological no. lens. I feel like <laughs> season four, we need to have a very vague theme for. Because we're going to sprinkle in episodes about you. Well, yeah. Like, I feel like How it's going to be like a banter. <laughs> like a okay, but that's going to be the best part. <laughs> um, I feel like the first like, ten like minutes the are... the ten minutes at the beginning of it? That's, that's going to be the whole <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Bro, Except so... for it's going to last, like, half an hour or something. Well, in the first 10 minutes, it's going to be, like, update on, like, priesthood life. And then you're like, right. and then how's like... college? <laughs> and I can just ask you questions. Yeah. We could, like, what do you call it when you're burnt out in the middle of the week? A regular week. Ash Wednesday. <laughs> Been that was a real knee slapper. Did that when we uh, asked Wednesday podcast. Well, it's still Lent, so yeah. Um, I'm gonna wrap up the podcast before Chris leaves. Before I even, I'm not leaving. Do the last part of it. Actively walking away. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I'll wait. Go. Are you gonna do it in the middle of me talking? No. If you do it in the middle of me talking, I'll stop you. Okay, today on Returning to Tradition. <laughs> and we're gonna wrap it up. Today I'm turning. <laughs> <laughs> and now we're really gonna wrap it up. Today on the Turning to Tradition podcast, we talked about controversial questions on the faith, such as homosexuality, LGBT communities, being saved, and so much more. 
Uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode, and of course, there are so many more controversial questions, such as abortion, you know, apostolic succession, all these great things. So you'll have to listen to future episodes to learn more about those topics. Um, and that's it from over from returning to tradition, over and out. You're gonna hurt someone's ears. Like I'm gonna listen to this with AirPods in, and I'm like, ah. <laughs> Is that for the bloopers? No, probably not. They're like the... No... But... I got a big butt. Um... <laughs> um... <laughs> You're gonna have to edit yeah, that. Yeah, no. See, it was funny, but then we paused too long. Okay. Yeah, we're doing We're it. not doing that one. Bro, we are going to get canceled so fast. Hey, Emma. No, we're not. God, how long Emma. is a million years? Oh, Emma, wait, wait, Emma, wait, Emma, Emma, is, Emma, Emma. Wait, Emma. this is really good. It's Can a you time let me joke. Finish? I'm not Can letting you it? say that joke on the podcast. Emma. No. What do you call uh, that? You're not telling that joke on the Over spring break, I got told that I should start doing stand-up. Would you pay to watch me do stand-up comedy? I don't think you've ever actually said a funny thing in your life. (laughs) You've never laughed at something I said. That's exactly what I'm talking about. (laughs) Unintentionally. Like, (laughs) you didn't intend to. to be like... We can do it in the dark. It'd be less awkward. I wouldn't have to see your face. Like, you didn't intend to do that. And you make don't it know funny. that. Yeah, I do, because you were oblivious to the fact that it was different. <laughs> I studied. I've been in this room for probably, this will, by the end of this podcast, it'll be four plus hours. Yeah. Because I studied crazy. in here this morning for how, three how hours. How about Okem go? Oh, wait. This is for my dad. Dad, I studied in this room this morning for like three and a half hours. And now I'm podcasting in it. Um, the test went really bad. Yeah, that's kind of what Sarah said. <laughs> like, I don't know if I even got a 40. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. It was really, really bad. Yeah, we're going to lump that together with you studied for three and a half hours. It's one big thing. Yeah. Uh, that... Just to prove that you studied. Yeah, because if my yeah. dad heard that, yeah. I don't even think I got 30, then... Yeah. Well, but I'm a freshman on organic chemistry. Yeah, that's pretty That's impressive. impressive. Yeah, you're smart. Except All right. I'm dying. With that being said... Um, Wait, did you just call me smart? On recording, Chris called me smart. Yeah. And funny. No promises. <laughs> did I call you funny? Mm-hmm. You just forgot that. I think you're putting words in my mouth. You're also putting food in your own mouth. Anyways, um... <laughs> Don't talk about what's okay, in my you mouth, can't, You can't... Yep, that's good in the blooper. <laughs> Uh, Father Bittner, who's the vocations director, and has I've never met Father Bittner in my time here, and I am going to seminary, so that tells you that story. I met his assistant, Father John Herrera. He's great. Uh, I haven't met Father Bittner once, and I've been here three years at the have University of Oklahoma. What? Have you heard good things about him? I haven't heard anything really about him, other than that he clearly doesn't do anything, so he's not doing his job. 
How has he not been here at all in three years? We are a university parish with Catholic young men and women and women, but mainly men to discern <laughs> the diocesan priesthood for his diocese. Yeah. And he hasn't been here. That's kind of unacceptable, in my opinion. Hot takes with Christopher. But <laughs> Father's doing good. I mean, he in his 12 years here, he's made me. two priests, and I'm the third seminarian in addition to those two priests. Who are the two priests that he made? Uh, Zach Bozeman and somebody else. And he currently has Michael Mullman and um, Xander Schmidt in seminary for so the diocese. So he might have five. Yeah, I mean, you know, seven years from now, he could have made five priests in 12 years. Well, technically, God made them, but, you know. Well, helped form Form. five priests in 12 years, which is impressive. Where did it... Whoa, did it get cold? Emma, are you okay? No, I went into the men's bathroom yesterday. No, hear this. I'm in Wagner Hall. This is going in the bloopers. (laughs) I am in Wagner Hall. Um... At the Okim study thing, I look, I'm like, oh, I have to pee. So I go find a restroom. I look at the women's restroom sign and go, that's not a woman. And I turn around and I go into the men's restroom with full confidence. And then I go, those are weird toilets in my head, like word for word. And then I was like, this is the men's restroom. Did you run into any guys? No, God bless. But I turn around and I go back out and I look at the women's sign and go, oh, it's a girl. And then I went to the bathroom.